0: Hello. Hi,
1: Mom. So you said you listened to this conversation I had with Steve Sloan. What do you think people are going to find interesting about this one?
0: I was interested in the fact that it was going from headless content, which I know nothing about, but you told me a little, to composable content. Which, surprising to me, you can now get content from many, many different places to develop products, images, videos, whatever.
1: I thought you would have a harder time understanding what this company does, and it seems like you pretty much got it.
0: I got it. I didn't know how they did what they're doing,
1: but I understood
0: what their objective was. That's enough for me. Otherwise, they would hire me if I understood it, I imagine.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, hire you to do what?
0: I don't know, because I don't know what they do and (laughs) how they make this composable product. But if I did understand it, I'd be very technical and maybe valuable for them.
1: Well, they'd be lucky to have you. (laughs) Anyway. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin. In this podcast, I talk with CEOs about their strategic narrative, the one very simple high-level story they tell that powers success not only in sales and marketing, but also fundraising, product, recruiting. And I am honored to have as my guest for this episode, Steve Sloan, CEO of Contentful. Steve was chief product officer at SendGrid when it was acquired by Twilio back in 2019 and he took the top job at Contentful later that year. The company has raised nearly $350 million since its founders launched in 2013, what they called a headless CMS or content management system, which is the industry's unfortunately grisly term for what is basically a central database for all the images and videos and text that a company uses in its apps and websites. The apps and the websites are the head in this metaphor. I know it's really weird, but a lot of
2: companies wanted this. And according to Steve, It was going pretty well. And when it goes pretty well, the iron law of strategy enters the picture, which is success or profits attract competitors. And so what we had was uh, lots of other companies seeing the success of this headless CMS idea. And so it became clear that we were in a moment where we had to paint the broader picture, not just for what was possible now, but what could be possible in the future. We were definitely at a crossroads where we knew we needed to change the narrative. And so that was really the catalyst Mm. to reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And what were you looking to achieve? We really wanted to do two things. The first was to draw a clear comparison separating us from content management systems. And number two, we want to paint the picture of what else is possible for companies and why that matters to them.
1: So you were looking to not only go beyond headless content management system, but even beyond CMS itself. Absolutely.
2: It's a category of products that frankly have been very stale. I mean, they're very much the same things that they were a decade ago. The historical content management systems, their value proposition was Oh, it's all in one system.
1: Right. All your images and videos all in one database. So say for a marketer updating a website, they could do that really easily.
2: The challenge is All of that content is locked up in one place. Mm -hmm.
1: Right, because nowadays, if you're a developer, you're building apps that draw on content from multiple content repositories and sources, maybe all around the world. Exactly. And so where did you get to? What is the narrative you talk about now?
2: So today we talk about composable content. We're going to give you the freedom to build the thing that is going to help you be successful.
1: And I've heard you talk about this. That means even if you're having to combine, like, let's say a product graphic from the US head office with a price that lives in an e-commerce system somewhere in Europe, it's really easy to grab those and create some new app experience programmatically from that. Exactly. How is that message playing in the market, in the company? Because that's a really big, I mean, you, what, what you kind of just said was we're not talking about ourselves as a content management system anymore.
2: You're right. And there's a moment where people at the company, especially folks who have been here for a while, wait wait a second, that's what we are. And you have to give people the opportunity to sit with it for a little while and to understand where we're trying to go in service of our customers. Honestly, in many cases, it's where our most advanced customers had already gone. They are the pioneers that had shown us where this new frontier was. Could you share an example of what that composable content future looks like? One example is Lyft. So say, Andy, you're the driver, I'm the writer, and I need to get picked up at SFO. So I pull up the Lyft app. It gives me information about where to go in order to meet what will soon be Andy. Then you, as the driver, you have a whole different app. But the truth is, the basic information about SFO is exactly the same.
1: So it's like these developers at Lyft have to package the same information in these multiple different end user formats and composable content is this idea that we're gonna make it super easy for them to do that.
2: Exactly, but you also might need to have that app connect to other systems. So as an example, there are a whole number of systems that are related to your driver rating. And so that developer, she needs to be able to connect to all of those other systems you rely upon to create that digital experience because I need the right thing exactly for me, which is different than for you.
1: At first I was thinking, well, it kind of does sound like headless CMS, but this thing with the connections, that's where it really starts to be something beyond that. Exactly to that point. And I think you've built out a lot of connections.
2: There are a whole set of companies that have responded to this demand where developers and marketers need to create these experiences. And so these APIs have emerged, everything from personalization services to commerce systems to translation systems. I mean, they go on and on and on. And so you have all of these other systems that you need to connect to and you need to make it easy for the developers to bring those together. That's not possible in the old content management system world because their value prop was it's all in one. Mm. Ours is really the opposite, which is we give you a nearly infinite number of ways to combine whichever services you need to create the exact experience you want.
1: I love how you said that. How did you take this narrative, which is kind of controversial, and
2: start to imbue it in the company? So finding a set of people at the company who know our customers really, really well, number one, and number two, have a lot of credibility internally, both to help inform the way we think about and talk about it, but then also to be evangelists as we went out and really did the internal evangelization and training Mm -hmm. of this has been important. And so, we had those internal spokespeople. What were
1: the roles of some of those people that played an important part in this?
2: So product and engineering, sales and marketing, customer success. So folks who, who are really at the coal face of dealing with customers and their challenges and aspirations also on a daily basis, having our founders deeply involved. So you really are anchored in the lineage because we're not trying to separate from our past. We're trying to shine a light on the future and where we can go and how we can evolve.
1: You know, I always ask the CEO to create a small team to work on this. And one of the people on your team was a very senior person in like sales engineering. Yeah. Uh, Jay. Jay, right. And he played a really key role because he's right at the edge of where like the company and the customer meet. Yes, uh, and he could often kind of say, "Yeah, I don't think that I don't think they're going to really buy that." Or, "No, yeah, I think this is something that we're hearing and, and all that."
2: I love that. Like you, you, one of the things you're hitting on, and you really pushed to make sure we had that mix of folks in the room. You know, Jay did that beautiful job of being a little bit of the canary in the coal mine when we got too experimental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to the edge too much. It's like, hey, folks, that's just that's just a bridge too far. It's not going to resonate. And he knows that because he does this all day, every day. Yeah. Do you want to
1: say his last name just because we're talking about him? Jay Bodenhausen.
2: He had this really cool mix of dreaming about what is possible and what is next and maybe what's a little bit over the horizon while still being realistic. And so having a few people who can be that, and there aren't many of them, to be honest with you. It's a pretty, pretty powerful mixture, but he did a beautiful job in that way.
1: Jay actually led a lot of the customer interviews that we did because he had that connection. Your team came to this narrative about composable content. Then
2: how does it spread through the org? So we did think about a pebble dropping in a pond, a little bit of concentric rings. So there were a set of people, particularly on the marketing and our sales readiness team, who we brought in. And we wanted them to really get more of the context and understand how we got there because they were going to be our instructors. So sort of a train the trainer mode with this next ring outside of the relatively small group of folks who had to be in all the working groups so that was step one and then the next big step was we actually went so far as to do certification on it so we had everybody at the company myself included um had to demonstrate that they could do the pitch
1: oh that's cool how did you do Did they literally give the pitch
2: they literally gave the pitch you had to be recorded and then you were for lack of a better term you were graded everybody who was customer facing needed to be certified that they could give the pitch
1: that's great i think benioff does something like that or at least he did when every year at dreamforce he'd do a new narrative or every few years i think it was part of the company culture that you had to get
2: tested on it yeah salesforce yeah. does a beautiful job of message discipline and yeah. it is one of the risky things with these new messages that everybody does it five percent ten percent different and you don't have a message.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's always probably going to be 5% or different. I mean, it's just too hard to control. But, you know, it's not going to be 50 or 70% different. And it's can we point. kind of keep it within a range where, oh, yeah, that that looks familiar. The company had been calling itself a headless content management system for many years. What's the reaction of folks is where we're saying we're moving beyond that and we have a bigger vision that's about composable content?
2: So the pickup has been honestly quicker than I thought. And and that shows up in three places. The first is, so we go to market and have agency and system integrator type of partners who are really important in our ecosystem. We met with dozens and dozens of them during our roadshow in the fall, and they were calling it the composable blank. The word composable was worked into their vernacular very, very quickly and very organically, which to me was one of the first validations because they also spend most of their waking working hours in front of clients. And so the fact that they were adopting it led me to believe that it was, at the very least, not crazy and probably pretty resonant. Second thing is that all of a sudden, search results for composable began to increase. So that pickup is a second indicator. The third indicator is, I guess, a compliment, but we definitely had a few competitors who jumped on the bandwagon right away. Mm, in mm, fact, mm, mm. our uh, our CMO, Amy-
1: I'm just going to butt in here to say that Steve is talking about Amy Kilpatrick, since he didn't use her last name. Okay,
2: uh, let's keep going. Hit written this piece that we're using on this fall roadshow, which was really sort of the unveiling of composable content. And- one of our competitors came out with something that was nearly verbatim of something she had written. I guess we will take that as flattery. It's evidence that it's resonant, but it does point out to the fact that you really, really have to stay on top of this Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. words are easy to replicate. The value prop isn't, but the words are easy to replicate.
1: What would you say was Harder than you expected in building this narrative and getting the team aligned around it.
2: It's really high touch. You know, you had encouraged me wisely to carve out multiple hours per week for every week of this core kind of work stream, which is a couple months. And that was exactly the right advice. I still probably underestimated the amount of thinking, exploring, drafting, tearing up the drafts, starting over. The iterative process, particularly in those first three weeks as we we're trying things on for size, that was surprising. I underestimated how much time that would take. It is all time well spent. And having a lot of stuff in the trash can at the end is actually, I think, a good sign of a creative process. But there are definitely moments where, oh my gosh, like... We're really going through the revs here.
1: Uh huh. And the reason that's happening is you and I are meeting, we're coming up with something we think is ah, pretty good or maybe great. And you show it to the team and there's some things they like, but we quickly get the idea, hmm, we're, we're not there yet, at least in terms of team alignment.
2: Yeah, that is definitely true. And, and the second thing actually just builds exactly on that. It is a nonlinear process. Like there were definitely ideas we tried on and loved, threw away and came back to later and realized, no, they were pretty good. Just the group wasn't ready for it yet. And I think you did a really nice job of resurfacing some things because you felt like, hey, maybe now this has a moment. This idea has a moment or this phrase has a moment.
1: And some of that I think comes from we did a lot of these customer interviews and we would pour through them and just see like, hey, you know, what seemed like the themes here? And sometimes that would guide us a lot too.
2: There were also places where we did go out and do some lightweight testing, like have people try on the narrative. That was a must do. There were definitely things that resonated within the group, an inside baseball sort of situation. And we went to an outside group and it was just too different and too much of our own language. And so that was really important. There were definitely a couple moments where Remember, we did some test drives with fully external audiences, yes. and uh, and that was, if we hadn't have done that, we would have really been disappointed yeah. with the results.
1: Any advice for CEOs who are thinking about working on a narrative, like what would be good signs that this is a good thing to spend your resources on or not, this is not a good thing to spend
2: your resources on? One strong recommendation is have probably a couple moments in the process where people switch sides and just attack the ideas like actually turn your arrows on your own ideas there were definitely a few moments where that revealed real weaknesses in our story arc early on and thank goodness probably saved us a lot of time Uh, it also helped us to get less wedded to some of the early ideas we had had. And so I thought that was a, a really yeah. helpful part. Of and, the process. and by the way, we
1: didn't, I don't think we had to say like, okay, everybody shoot your arrows now. People were well <laughs> equipped with their bow and arrows and quivers to, uh, to attack things. We just sort of set up the ground to do it, but yeah, we created the space for people to do that for sure.
2: Because I think it can be risky, especially if the CEO or a founder is leading the process, that people just want to know what her or his ideas are and roll with that. The one other area that I would offer is I don't think all companies are ready for this type of exercise all the time. You did, a, you asked the same question a bunch of different ways very early on in the process. And I interpreted that as you testing my resolve about whether or not we're going to do this for real. <laughs> what was the question? And, well, you asked me about the process, how much time I was going to involve, who else was going to be there, what would happen if the narrative ended up being different. You asked me what was going to happen six months from now, like who is actually going to do the work and my interpretation of those questions was all around the idea of conviction that this is a real investment and we're going to make it now. And honestly, it's the investment that's more important is the time required of a bunch of people who are pretty time starved. The money matters, but it's not the bigger ask. So are you ready to make this investment now? Number one. Number two, is this actually going to move the needle for your company at this moment in time? Like We were at a place where we did have a conviction that we needed to change the narrative and we had our reasons why. And so I think that really needs to be clear. And then I think number three, do you have the mechanics in place to be able to scale this out? Is the team ready to do the field readiness? Are they ready to do the certification? Are they ready to go out to influencers and find other people who can also be spokespeople on your behalf? Like, If they're not queued up to do that and they don't know it's going to take a bunch of their time, then you can have a beautiful narrative with a small set of people who say it and it just doesn't get carried.
1: Yeah, it, that's such a great point. I sometimes get contacted by teams that it's not that they're small, but they're more traditional and don't have that army of folks who is going to go out and build this movement. We're going to miss out on a lot of the juice if we're not building it in all the ways you're talking about.
2: I totally agree. And I love that word. You just use their movement because a movement takes a long time to grab hold. Like, Amy and I were just talking about it this morning. What are the plans for how we do this, how we recruit more people to speak on our behalf that will allow us to get an amplification we can't do on our own? And so unless you really have kind of this multi-year horizon, you know, 18 to 24 months for what it will take for this to really take root and ideally have people you don't even know using this phrase in a way that's consistent with what you hoped it would be, Like that's really the litmus test, but that doesn't happen in month one, two, three, four. Even if you're a big company, it takes a while.
1: Yeah, that is so true. Hey, anything else about building the narrative that I haven't asked you about that you wanted to share? Well, I want to thank you. I
2: mean, The process was super important for us and you were both patient and persistent with us in terms of the iterations required to come up with something that was really resonant. One of your superpowers for sure is you are incredibly generative. The number of different options you created on the fly that were net new, but also amalgams of different things was really impressive.
1: Wow, thank you, Steve. That means a lot to me. And back at you. I mean, this is all about CEO leadership and you just totally committed to that and took it on until you got to a place that you and the team felt really good about.
2: And when you feel good about it, then it's really easy to keep doing it because you you really believe it and you have evidence that it's working and it's resonant. It's serving ultimately the people you hope to serve, which is our customers and our partners. And so it's been fun to see the progress.
1: People talk about making the narrative so simple a grandparent could understand it, but I think that's a silly bar. I mean, yeah, my mom got the gist, I guess, but you're selling to people who have an ingrained frame of reference. In this case, content management, everything in one place and we're looking to challenge that and supplant it with a new frame of reference and what i like about where steve and his team got to was it's really about what you want to do with the content you know compose it into these great new experiences and, and where it's coming from all over the place not at the highest level about how it's managed and stored the bigger narrative is produced and edited by me andy raskin with music by steven emerson and podcast cover art by angela May chen Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Steve Sloan, Sasha Koniecki, Jay Bodenhausen, and everyone at Contentful. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Ann Randolph, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company's story is the company's strategy.